here to listen to me? No, no, oh, no. Who are we partnering with in the preaching of God's word? The Spirit of God, the revealer of truth, right? And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to teach us something. We invite you to change us in some place of our soul. We ask you, Lord, to bring us into alignment with your word and with the principles of the way you laid out this living that you've called us to. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we began a series while we were away via video uh, called God With Us. The series is called God With Us. And, and that comes for, from a Hebrew word, which is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. So that's with an I. That's the Hebrew. Emmanuel. Now, many of you might know Emmanuel with the E. And that's just sort of the Roman, Greco kind of translation of Emmanuel. And so it is literally one of my favorite words. Not just of Christmas, it's one of my favorite words. Because the implication of Emmanuel, God with us, is so profound. Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us. And as the series continues, we're looking into the lives of different characters, different people in the Christmas narrative in the Christmas story, the Christmas account. And today's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a bit of a different take on Christmas as we look at the life of Joseph. Now, when I say Joseph, I'm talking about Joseph, Jesus' surrogate father, uh, Mary's husband. And it's going to be a little different because we're not going to be talking about the lights and the glitter and the tinsel of Christmas, you know, the happy, the feel-good stereotypes of the Christmas season. Instead, we're going to be talking about the dark things of life, the painful things of life, the grieving and the mourning, the pain and the hurting, not just surrounding the Christmas season, but of life and of living. Now you might ask, Lucas, why, why are you such a bummer? Why during the Christmas season would you bring this up? And, and here's what I would say. This kind of pain and brooding and darkness is the context for that first Christmas. That first Christmas was in the dark. It was in the obscurity of this nothing town in the middle of nowhere Israel called Bethlehem. It was not a place of note and notoriety. It was in a place when the Roman Empire had come and subjected the Jews to servitude under the Roman rule. So they were... They were under an opposing, an outside force coming in and ruling over them. It was a dark time. It had been, it had been anyway for 400 to 500 years since they heard anything from the prophets or from God. That's generations of silence from God. And so the first Christmas really is in the dark. It's in the dark. It's in the painful. It's in the... the you could almost say like the hopelessness of history. And then Christmas happens. Emmanuel, God with us, comes to us in the dark, in the pain, in the obscurity, under the occupation and rule of the Roman Empire. And, and here's the thing. The New Testament writers, they weren't afraid to address pain. If you read the New Testament writers, they did not shy away from talking about pain. In fact, they talked about it a lot. If you read the New Testament, it's rich in a robust theology of pain and suffering. 
I found myself having many conversations with people over the past year. Um, some of you are going to be looking at me going, yeah, we, we had this conversation. And the conversations were really around this idea that we, that we, we so lack a, a robust theology of suffering, of pain. What do we do with pain? What do we do with grieving? And unfortunately, too often, this leads us to believe that when suffering comes, there's, there's got to be something wrong with our faith. There's got to be something wrong with me. There's got to be something wrong with my church. There's got to be something wrong. There's got to be sin. There's got to be something that's causing this to happen. And if we don't have a robust theology of suffering, it can break us. Instead of deepening our faith, it can break our faith. So let's dig in a little bit to this groundwork as we look at the life of Joseph the carpenter. We're introduced to Joseph in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John. They name him, and they have the account of Joseph. Uh, Mark's account of the life of Jesus, he, he kind of obscurely mentions Joseph, son of a carpenter. And so that's the only way Joseph mentioned in Mark. But most, most scholars believe that, that Joseph was an older man. Certainly he was older than Mary, as was the, was, as was the custom and the realities of life in, in, in first century Middle East. Um, it took time and resources. It took the establishment of a career for income and the ability to provide a home before a man was deemed ready to be married. So this is where we find Joseph as we read Matthew 1, 18 to 25. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. And Joseph is a man that's done all the right things. He's worked hard. He's positioned himself to be able to ask Mary's hand in marriage. And this is the context where we're introduced to Joseph the carpenter. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, so often, we can read this account and kind of overlook some things. Often, I read this account, and I don't really appreciate the gravity of what is happening here. I want you to consider the implications of this moment. This big ask from God. In the first century, if a woman was caught, betrothed, engaged to a man to have a baby out of wedlock, the prudent thing would be to divorce her, to essentially annul the marriage. Uh, uh, engagements were, 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 were long. There's a lot of kind of ceremony that was attached to it. 
But it would have been scandalous. Not only would it have been scandalous, it would have been dangerous. Because under the law, they, they, she could have been stoned. She could have been killed publicly, shamed publicly. And so Joseph, if he was, if he was prudent, he was considering quietly so that this, she wouldn't have public shame, but quietly divorcing her, annulling that engagement, that betrothal. Because what, do you, what are you thinking as Joseph? You're thinking, well, oh, she obviously cheated on me. She obviously laid with another man, and it wasn't me, because I know it wasn't me. Or two, if you don't, if you don't annul that, that everyone is going to just assume that you're the father. And that was just as bad in first century Middle East. That was just as bad under the law of God. So in the first century, under the law of Moses, this would have been a big thing. So let, let's consider for a moment what God is asking Joseph to do. He's asking Joseph to suffer. I want you to catch this. He's asking Joseph to suffer. He's asking him to take Mary as his wife, even though it's going to completely ruin his reputation. Luke 3.23 gives us some clear language surrounding the thoughts of the people in regards to Joseph. In, in Luke 3.23, he's referring to Jesus. He says, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Okay? When Luke writes this account, he's very clear about this. He's very intentional about this. Being the son, as was supposed. Supposed by who? Supposed by everybody that knew them. Everybody that knew Jesus. Everybody that knew the circumstance surrounding his birth. Everybody knowing about this. Supposed that Joseph was the father of Jesus, having him out of wedlock. His reputation in ruins. The Bible describes Joseph as a just man. He was a man of integrity. The big ask was that Joseph would put that down to suffer the jeers and the sideways glances and the shunning of a community in which he lived. Can, can I ask you, do you suppose that Joseph would have had to grieve some things in this season of his life? Would have had to grieve the loss of his reputation? Even though he remained just, even though his integrity was completely intact, from the outside looking in, he was broken. His reputation was in shatters. But I want you to notice the hope that's injected into this visit that he receives from the angel. The angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Fear what? Well, well fear the profound consequences of obedience. You, you heard me right. We, we so often talk about the profound consequences of disobedience, but I, I'm here to tell you, and I hate to break it to you, but this faith at times, there's profound consequences to obedience in this world but the angel revealed the hope that is associated to being part of something bigger than yourself not just bigger but he was inviting Joseph into the biggest and most significant event in human 
If you're taking notes, write this down. In Emmanuel, grief and hope can coexist. In Emmanuel, God with us, grief and hope can coexist. These two things are not mutually exclusive. While I was preparing for this sermon, I had a friend on Facebook share a post from a, a blog of a friend of his, and I, I just felt stirred to share it with you today. As we begin to explore a place for developing a theology, a way of living even in the midst of suffering, many enter the Christmas season with such a sense of loss, Many of us have such a sense of loss as we, as we enter the Christmas season where we celebrate the coming together of family, the coming together of friends and friendships and, and family and those that we love. And we're often looking at that empty chair that used to be filled with that loved one, with that person. And I just thought that these words, her name is Victoria Marie, and she writes this about the loss of her brother. I'm always amazed at the power of hope. Hope pressed us to anticipate something better than what we'd known. It whispered of a future full of peace, joy, and love. Hope instilled a sense of courage to press into and persevere towards what was coming. Hope carried us forward even when we felt broken. This Christmas will mark the third we've had without my brother, Alex. Alex passed away in April of 2016, really unexpectedly, throwing my family into rhythms of grief I didn't know existed. So what did Christmas hold for us in the wake of loss? It could have held busyness and diving into any and every activity to forget that another year had come and Alex was not here. It could have held foraging new traditions so that any memory of Alex at Christmas was not easily stumbled into. It could have held anger and sadness. It could have held all these things, but thankfully it did not, and it does not. We held space for grief. And as we prepared room for the deep sadness we knew would accompany this season, something beautiful happened. Hope still found a way in. She stepped in and sat quietly with grief. She didn't press grief into a corner or push grief out. Hope and grief can live together. I know I've hung out with them both. Allowing grief in during this season is not a sign of weakness. It doesn't take away from the hope of this Christmas time. We have not been called to a faith that ignores the realities around us, particularly around pain and loss. This world is inevitably going to serve it up to us. Sometimes it's pain and loss that results in, 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 in the obedience to God and to the call of God and the word of God. Jesus Emmanuel 
can inject and does inject hope even into the seasons of grief and loss. Whether it's the loss of loved ones or, or dreams or reputation or relationships as a result of following Jesus. This is particularly true as it was for Joseph when obedience to God was going to cost you something. It's okay to grieve that loss. But know that hope can coexist with that grief because we have been called into something so much bigger than just ourselves. We've been called into this story that ends in victory and ends in life. In Emmanuel, grief and hope can coexist. But there's another aspect of Joseph's life that I find so interesting, and we see this all through Scripture. Obedience does not guarantee the witnessing of outcomes. Okay, I want you to hear this, because this is part of suffering. And we're lying to ourselves if we don't think it is. Obedience does not guarantee the witnessing of outcomes. We don't know exactly when Joseph died, but we know that it was sometime after Jesus' 12th birthday. We have accounts of Joseph up until that time, and then after that, we know that he's not there at the cross. We know that Mary's alone. We, we know that Joseph has passed away somewhere in that life. Most scholars don't think that Joseph was around for the, the ministry life of Jesus when Jesus turned 30 years old and entered the ministry publicly. Most scholars don't think that Joseph was around at that time. And I think it's important to consider that Joseph was called into this big moment in history. And for all intents and purposes, he did not live to see it fulfilled. He didn't live to see it fulfilled. His obedience didn't lead him to seeing the outcome of that promise that he was given. I wonder if on his deathbed, Joseph had to grieve this reality. I don't think that's a long shot for us to just interject and think about. And Joseph wasn't the only one. Abraham was promised that his offspring would be as numerous as the pebbles on the beach, and he didn't live to see it. Moses was given a vision of the promised land of Israel. He spent his entire adult life leading the people of Israel to it, and he himself didn't see it through. The apostles lived in the light of the return of Jesus. They legitimately believed Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And yet they still gave their lives for this thing that was so much bigger than themselves, and they didn't see it. I may be reading into the text and making some assumptions, but I don't think these are big leaps to make. We're he human beings. We understand this. We understand that when we give our lives to something and we don't see the outcome, there's some grieving involved in that. But that does not mean that hope is stripped away. That does not mean that we take hope away because God is so much bigger than one generation. His story has spanned thousands of years. And it's right back to this thing that I say all the time, it's not about you. It's about his story. It's about Jesus being made famous. It's about Jesus being lifted up. But there's some grieving as Joseph did not see the outcome of that thing that he was obedient to. But I also believe that Joseph is alive and well today. 
witnessing the Son of God seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. What a powerful moment for Joseph. This is what it means to be a part of something so much bigger than just you. Have, have you guys read anything in regards to the death of uh, John Allen Chow? Anybody know who I'm talking about? John Allen Chow? He was, he was the 26-year-old missionary who was killed uh, after his third trip to the to North Sentinel Islands, just off India. In the North Sentinel Islands, they had the Sentinelese people. And on, on the 17th of this year, 17th, he was killed by them. And, and they're a people group that have, are unreached, completely unreached, unreached by society, unreached by culture. Um, they're, they're quite aggressive. And so his third time to go there and try to share Jesus, uh, he, he was shot by bows and arrows. He was, he was killed on the shores of North Sentinel Island. And it's really interesting to read the secular media's take on this story. Because they, they just don't get it. Like it, it, I read just kind of account after account of secular media trying to just unpack the story and, and kind of make sense of it. And they don't understand what could possess someone to put their life on the line for, for a message about Jesus. And I can't help but think, what, what could ever come of John Allen Chow's actions? He went three times. He was unable to make contact. And he was killed for his faith. But then I'm reminded that obedience is all that we're responsible for. Obedience is the only thing we're responsible for. The outcome is up to Jesus. The up outcome is up to the Spirit of God. John Chow did not see the outcomes of being obedient. But does that mean it was all for naught? I, I wouldn't dare make that claim. I wouldn't dare make that claim because I know that God is greater. I know that the plans of man pale in comparison to the plans of God. I know that obedience doesn't necessarily mean you see outcomes in your lifetime. The hope and the promises of God are too tied to obedience for me to make that claim hope of outcome outlives us all until Jesus return hope outlives us all we may be grieving not seeing the outcome but we must always hope in our obedience despite what we see or don't see now I say this because some of you you're praying for loved ones you're praying for kids or grandkids that are far from God don't let the enemy take hope away from you and, and here, here's the deal. Allow yourself to grieve that. It's okay to grieve that. That thing that breaks your heart. Grieve it. But don't let hope be stripped away. Because your obedience in praying, your obedience of being a witness of the gospel, your obedience of living with integrity in front of your God can take that, and He can do that. Even after you're long gone, He can still do a work. Some of you are grieving the lack of outcome in some of the dreams that you feel God has placed in your heart. And it's okay to grieve that, but never lose hope. Never lose hope. Here's how I'm going to live my life, and here's how I live my life. And here's how I encourage everyone to live their lives. 
If you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose for the kingdom. Can you hear that? If you have breath in your lungs, you have purpose for the kingdom. You may grieve not seeing the outcomes, and that's okay. I think you should. But don't allow your grief to strip away hope. Don't don't approach it like it's either or. Either I grieve or I have hope. It's both and. You can grieve and maintain hope. They live together. Even after your last breath, His promises to you continue to be accomplished to His glory. Because His promises to you are not really about you. His promises to you are about the establishment of his kingdom and his story. Allow grief and hope to coexist. To embrace the realities of grief while still holding on to the hope of the promise. The word says that we don't grieve as the world grieves. We grieve in the presence of hope, surrounded by the presence of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes, I just want to close with this. In Matthew 23, 37, 39, we, we see this, this moment where Jesus himself is grieving. Where Jesus is grieving. And it's recorded by Matthew. Matthew 23, 37 to 39. And he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's standing over the city. And he apparently has a view of the city. And he says these words. With a heart of grief, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus himself makes room for grief as he laments over the city of Jerusalem. But he doesn't shy away from that grief. He feels it. He embraces it. He allows it to speak words of truth over that city. And yet notice, he both laments and then he leaves a profound statement of hope. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, you will see me again, but it's when you proclaim, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Emmanuel, Jesus, he's not just referring to an event that he sees both his, his sees both his, his death and resurrection. He's, he's referencing the event of his second coming at the end of the age. Even in his grief, Jesus knew that there was hope and that it was, his obedience would ultimately bring the outcome of the promise. A little bit later, in the garden of Gethsemane, we see the Savior. He grieves. He profoundly grieves. Sweating drops of blood from his skin, agonizing, grieving over the journey that's before him to the cross.
cross. And yet, in that moment, grief and hope coexist. He grieves, and yet he knows the outcome of obedience will change the world. The outcome of obedience will change the lives of humanity. But the outcome of the promise was preceded by the pain and the loss and the suffering of obedience. But in Emmanuel, both grief and hope can coexist. And I don't know what you are grieving today. And I don't know what you're putting off grieving today. Because we don't grieve well. Our Western culture doesn't deal with grief well. We don't deal with sorrow well. Our culture is so about the pursuit of happiness. Which is such a broken thing. My question for you today is, is what do you need to grieve this Christmas season? What loss do you need to make space for this Christmas season? Because that suffering is not a reflection of your lack of faith. Feeling that suffering is a courageous moment of allowing the Spirit, another name for the Spirit of God in the Scriptures is, is the Comforter. Allowing the comforter into that pain, into that suffering, into that loss. To wrap his arms of love around you. To take you on a journey of mending that loss in your heart. And giving you some of you going into this new year we make resolutions all the time right but for some of you there's some resolutions that you know that you need to step into that are going to involve suffering because it's going to involve obedience to what you feel the spirit of God is speaking to you for some of you it's, it's relationships those that you surround yourselves with you know, there's a saying, if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Sometimes we've got to evaluate who we surround ourselves with because they so often affect the trajectory of our lives. But there's a grieving in that when we have to let go of some toxic relationships and proximities. There's some grieving in that. 
some of you, it's just obedience to the call of God, and it might mean some major sacrifices, some major life changes, putting down some things. There's suffering involved in that. Grieve it. But embrace hope. So Lord, I pray that this Christmas season that we would stop the fake it till we make it (laughs) but Lord that we would embrace pain that we would embrace suffering knowing that we live in a broken world and knowing that it's not a reflection on our faith or our maturity it's a reflection on our humanness Holy Spirit, Comforter, would you come? Those that are grieving loss of loved ones this Christmas season, would you surround them with your love? Would you help us to make space for that grief and for that loss? Or would you continually remind us, Lord, that there's hope for the future? That as long as we have breath, we have pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, in the name of Emmanuel, God with us, God with us in the good times, God with us in the bad times, God with us in the celebration and the tinsel and the lights and the glitter, and God with us in the dark and the broken. invite you to inject hope and to teach us to grow.